Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Father, you you are good and you are sovereign and you are over all things and nothing surprises you. Father, master, unmask, you see it all. And so, Father, we come to you, we ask for your grace through Christ to overflow to us. And, and Jesus, we know that you've been by our side in it all. That in every tough time, in every difficult circumstances, in every lonely moment, that the Lord is by our side. And so we rest in that reality, we trust it, and we, we seek you. And we seek to trust you even more. And Father, as we're weaned off of props and people and all the things in this season, might we, might we, turn, might we turn to you and trust you at an even more deeper, deeper place. Father, we pray this through your son Jesus and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as we start and as I begin this morning, I want you to, to do me a favor. I want you to think about your own life for just a minute. And so stop thinking about me and everything else. I want you to think about your own experience. And I want you to think about a hard time that you've been through. I want you to think about a difficulty that you've, uh, that you've, that you've suffered or uh, a storm that you've weathered, maybe um, something that was a trial in your life. And it may be a long time ago, it may be fresh, but something that, that you felt deeply it was, a, it was a personal time for you. It may not be resolved yet. It may have been resolved a while, but I want you just to consider that. And just for you, I'm not gonna ask you to tell me about it or tell anyone else about it. This can be between you and the Lord, but I want you just to think about what is that place where you look back and go, man, that season was incredibly difficult for me. And some of you are thinking, you know, like, 2020, like, two, like this, this entire year, like that would be, that would be mine, <laughs> you know, you're thinking what it is, and, um, but maybe think about something a little bit, little bit heavier than like when Chick-fil-A messed your order up, or when your kid had that one really, really bad diaper, like those are bad things, but maybe think of something that, that impacted you a little bit more, and, and what that was like, and it could be the season that we're in, but what's one hard time, or pain, or struggle, or betrayal, or, or, or isolation that you felt really deeply, you have it in mind? You have one kind of in your head and what you're thinking about? Um, well, keep that in mind. We're gonna come back to it in just a minute. Well, turn with me now to 2 Timothy chapter four. And we're gonna look at a passage there and then we're gonna jump over to Hebrews in a little bit. While you're turning, turning there, let me just tell you where we're headed today. We've been talking about kind of in this, this season, what does it mean for us to be less reactive to the world and more responsive to God? And so last week we looked at Romans 12, one and two and talked about what does it mean for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we begin to look more like Jesus. And so what is that sanctification process is the theological term. What's that sanctification or transformation of our lives look like um, during seasons like this when times are a little bit more difficult? And so today I want us to talk about kind of the how we experience spiritual transformation. What does it feel like for you to go through a process of being changed by the Lord. And so as we lean into that, have you, ever, have you ever considered what it means for you to be transformed? I think sometimes we quote these verses, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and it sounds really good, but have you ever stopped and thought about, well, how is, it I'm, how is it I'm actually doing that personally? What does it look like? How long does it take? What am I supposed to do? What does it feel like? How do I know when, I've, when I'm actually being transformed like the Bible talks about? Well, let me start with a, with a story from my own personal experience. And um, 
I feel like if, if I'm gonna ask you to go there, I need to be willing to go there too. And I want you to know that I'm not immune to these things. I'm not immune to hard times. I'm not immune to difficulties. I walk through those things as well. And so we're all in this thing together. And so as we do that, let me just, I wanna start this morning by sharing kind of one of my stories and then we'll come back around and look at kind of the theological truth that we can hang that on. But in my own life, there, uh, 2 Timothy 4 is one of what I call an anchor passage. And by an anchor passage, what I mean is when you're in one of those storms of life, those difficult seasons or times, it's a, it's a passage of the Bible that you kind of latch onto and make it your anchor. And this is a passage that when I went through a really difficult time, I, I went back and read daily for a number of weeks and just made this kind of an anchor for me during that, that season where I feel like everything was being tossed around. So this is one of my anchor passages, and so it's important to me personally. But when I was, years ago, when I was kind of at the lowest point in my ministry, I was really just in a season where uh, there was just a lot of conflict in the church where I was a pastor. And in that season, uh, there, there was an individual who had really just made it his purpose to uh, to kind of opposed me. And so uh, even by his own admission later, there, there was a season where he, there was gossip, there was kind of believing the worst, there was spreading misinformation and really trying to just be divisive. And in that, I, I knew that was happening and it didn't seem like there was much I could do about it. And so when I was enduring that time, um, it just was a really difficult season. In fact, a friend of mine later said, he said, you know, with everything you went through, I'm surprised you didn't just walk away from ministry altogether. And so in that, just that low point of kind of my ministry life, it just felt like a heavy season. I would run to this passage and I'd come back to it and I'd read it daily just to kind of get me through this time. And then uh, a little bit later, kind of after that season resolved a little, I went and actually went, actually went for an interview in Nashville at another church. And while I was there, I looked up a guy, Ray Ortland, who was an older pastor, who's about 15 years older than I am. And we... And we went and had coffee. And when I, when I sat down with, with Ray, it was fascinating because we sat down and as soon as we sat down, he pulled out his Bible and he opened it up to this exact same passage. The passage that I'd been reading every day for those weeks. And he just happened to open it up and he opened it up and he began to walk me through it. And I still remember the three points he said. He said, look, there's strong opposition. There's weak friends, but there's a stronger God. And so he laid out this passage and we began to talk about it. And in that moment, I don't, I don't say this lightly and I, I really just a handful of times in my life where I felt like I experienced something like this, but it just felt like the Lord was there. It felt like the Lord descended and was there in that moment and kind of a, like, like the burning bush for Moses sort of a moment for me. It just felt like God really, God really used that passage in this person to affirm what I had been experiencing, that, that the Lord stood by my side and the Lord strengthened me during a difficult time. And, and there was something that just broke through in that moment. And really that kind of set a trajectory for me. And honestly, that passage didn't take on less meaning after that, it took on more. And so as I, as I walked through that, that moment continued to transform me. And it didn't end there. And I'm gonna come back to this in just a little bit later. But that was kind of a mile marker for me in this internal journey of healing from a really tough time. Now, the reality for each of us is we all have tough times. We all have hurts and we all have hangups and things that we need God to help us through. We need God's healing hand to come and, and walk us through those times. So let's look at that passage. Let's look at that anchor passage, the one that was so important to me, 2 Timothy 4. We're gonna start in verse 14. <clears throat> it says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me 
so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So as you think about this passage, the first thing that Paul's the, the, the Paul talks about is strong opposition. And I want us just to unpack this briefly and, and think about how, why it was helpful for me, but especially why it would be also be, why this is also helpful for you in, in whatever opposition, whatever difficulty it is that you're facing. So the first thing that Paul faced was strong opposition. Strong opposition is this guy named Alexander the coppersmith. Don't you love that Paul just names it? Like, how'd you like to be that dude? There's a lot of people that messed up in the world, but that dude got it written down in the Bible for all eternity. And it's just like, that's the guy that, that attacked Paul. And so Paul got to kind of put it down, but he just called it what it was. There was a, there's a reality for Paul. He wasn't afraid to name what difficulties he faced it. And so this guy, Alexander the coppersmith, we really don't know much about him. There's a couple other Alexanders in the Bible, but this is probably a different one. He clearly was a metal worker and was a coppersmith. That was kind of, he was known by his trade. And, and Paul calls him out and says, he hurt me personally, so it was kind of a two-pronged attack. It says he hurt me personally, and he hurt our mission. And that's the way attacks typically come. They come at a personal level, but they also come at a, at a level of the corporate mission of whatever organization it is that you're trying to, a mission you're trying to fulfill. And so Paul admits how hard it is, but you notice he doesn't allow this opposition to derail him. Like he, he mentions that he names it, he's, he's honest about this hurt, but he doesn't sit there and stay there. He doesn't live in that place. He begins to move on through it. So he says, the Lord will handle this. Don't you love how he doesn't just react to this guy, but eventually he steps back and goes, hey, I've got to trust the Lord's justice. I've got to have to trust the Lord's timing. The Lord will repay him for his evil deeds. And so he, he's, he's willing to, to allow the, the Lord to handle this. And then he refocuses himself on the mission he's given. Friends, you, you can't control all the circumstances and what everyone does around you. You don't have the ability to manage what all the world around you does. All you can control is your response in the midst of the circumstances in which you find yourself. And that's, that's what we see, I think, Paul doing. And your hard time is, is probably not in opposition to your preaching and your message and your mission. Your opposition, your, your difficulty, your hard time is probably something different. It may be not a strong opposition. Yours may be a strong depression. Yours may be a strong addiction. Yours may be a strong financial difficulty or a, small, or a strong health crisis or a strong conflict or a strong betrayal of, of a spouse. You, your, your trial may be different than Paul's was, but we all have trials that are strong, uh, strong difficulties in our life that we've got to learn to, to process and work through. And we can't control really those circumstances. So first we see that there's a strong kind of difficulty in our lives that Paul faces. Second thing we see about Paul is we see that he had weak friends. So there's strong opposition, there's weak friends. He says, at my first offense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me, may it not be charged against them. So all of his friends kind of hightailed and ran. They were like, peace out, this looks hard, I'm taking off. Someone's coming at you, there's a difficult situation. I, Paul, I'm gonna let you carry the weight on this and we're gonna, go, we're gonna go elsewhere. Now the context of this, if you look back a few verses, you see that Paul was really dealing with these kind of feelings of loneliness and isolation. That in the middle of this, Paul, as much as he was kind of the, the apostle of the Gentiles and this kind of greatest church planner and missionary in the, in the history of the world and all this, you know, this deep theology and all the things that Paul wrote, writing more of the New Testament than anyone else, in the midst of all that, Paul was also just a frail human being who faced hardships and loneliness like we did. And so in this, he, he says in verse nine, do your best to come to me soon. And he says, Demas was in love with this present world and he's deserted me. 
And then he goes through and runs through this list of people. He says, Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus went to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. He's just saying, it feels like everyone's run off and gone somewhere else. And some of them, they had good reasons to go, but he just says, I- I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling alone in the midst of this. Would you try to come to me as soon as you could? Can you, friends, relate to those feelings of isolation in this season? In this season of quarantine, can you, can you relate to that feeling of just, man, I just feel stuck? And some of you are going, I kind of like being stuck. Like I've kind of enjoyed being, having a little space over here as my introverted self spit able to just be at peace a little bit. But you, you may not feel it as, as you want lots of action and lots of activity and lots of people, but maybe you feel it as, and I feel like I'm the only one carrying the weight of the world right now. I feel like I'm, I'm carrying these huge burdens of life and no one sees me in this moment. So maybe it's not just you want, you want to throw a party. Maybe it's just, you feel isolated in terms of the burdens you're carrying right now, that, that no one really understands those. I think that's how Paul was feeling as he was facing this trial. You notice he's not angry with these friends. These friends are just weak. With, with, with Alexander the coppersmith, he says, hey, the Lord will repay him. With these people, he says, may it not be held against them. He just knows these are friends who, they're frail and they're weak. And in this season, in this time, they have difficulty too. And Friends, people are gonna let us down. I think the, the thing for us to look at is how do we respond when people let us down? How do we respond in that moment? Are we, are we gonna be the kind of person who says, I, I'm gonna make sure you're called to account for not being by my side? Are we gonna be the kind of people like Paul that says, Father, or that says, don't hold it against them. May it not be held against them. You know, it reminds me of Jesus when I read that, where Jesus, disciples and everyone leaves and he kind of looks at some of the others and goes, are you gonna leave too? And they're like, where would you go? But then they all leave too, right? And so as they come back around and what's Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they know what they do. So Jesus is gracious in that. Proverbs tells us it's to our glory to overlook an offense. See, if, as we think about the, our circumstances, if you let your circumstances and your companions dictate your response, then you're always gonna end up in trouble because you have no control over your circumstances or your companions. You can only control what you can do. And that's why we're talking so much in this series about being responsive to God. And that really brings us to the, I think the last and most important element of what we see uh, Paul unpacking for us. So Paul had, he had, he had strong opposition or strong difficulty. He had weak friends, but then he had a stronger God. You notice what he said. He says, but the Lord stood by me and the Lord strengthened me. See, Paul experienced the presence of God by his side, strengthening him, building him up, nourishing him and empowering him to face the trials that he faced. And so in the midst of circumstances that didn't go the way he wanted, in the midst of companions that seemed to run away, the Lord stood by my side, Paul says, and the Lord strengthened me so that I could weather this storm. He goes on to say, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So he goes back to Daniel and says, just like, the, just like God rescued Daniel from the lion's mouth, he's rescued me, maybe even from the actual lion's mouth for Paul. Uh, he, he may have been facing that, although as a Roman citizen, that's unlikely in, in Rome that he would have faced the Colosseum. But, but there's some speculation that, that Paul's looking even at that going, God's rescued me, but there's probably an allusion to Daniel. Like he rescued Daniel, he's rescuing me and he's gonna rescue me. He rescued me now, but then he says, and, and he will rescue me again down the road. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. See where his confidence is? His confidence is that God's my rescuer. His confidence isn't that I'm gonna navigate this perfectly. His confidence is in the Lord. Now and forever, the Lord's by my side. 
See, Paul, Paul is actually writing a letter here. He's writing a letter to a younger friend of his named Timothy. And he's trying to tell Timothy what life is like. And in that, he says, I wanna share with you, I wanna, I wanna share with you my experience so you understand what it's like to face difficulty so that when you yourself face difficulty, you'll know where to turn because you're gonna face difficulties just like I did, Timothy. And really, that's, that's why I wanted to share with you my story. It was really for the same purpose. I wanted you to understand this is what it's like, been like for me to, to face difficulties and how the Lord stood by me so that when you face difficulties, you'll know where to turn when you face difficulties. The old churches would have said, I wanted to testify to how God was gonna deliver me or deliver me through these moments and how he'll deliver you too. And so that's really the heart of kind of what, we're, what I want us to look at today. And I told you earlier about this tough time that I had and how this Second Timothy 4 became an anchor passage for me. Here's what I want you to know about how that felt for me or how I experienced that, that time. Uh, whenever I was going through that difficulty initially and I just felt like, man, this guy's got it in for me. In fact, he even told me he had it in for me and then kind of backed off and then kept coming. And so just as I was going through that middle of, uh, the middle of that trial and it was, it was fighting through that time, the phrase that jumped out at me in this passage was, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. And I would, I would actually, the first thought would come to mind when I look at this is, man, I know my Alexander the coppersmith. It's that guy that keeps trying to take me down. And so I, I would, people would ask me, they're like, man, tell me about what's going on in this. And I'm like, man, I know my Alexander the coppersmith. I know that guy that's my opposition. I know that guy that's trying to take me down. And that was just the thing that I repeated over and over was, man, there's an Alexander the coppersmith that's hurting me. And so I was very focused on my circumstances and that was the thing that just being honest, like it was right in front of me. And, and oftentimes when we're in the middle of a trial, do you feel that to be true? That that's all you can see? All you can see is the difficulty. All you can see is the debt you have. All you can see is the depression and how it feels on, to you. All you can see is how, how this friend that you were counting on has abandoned you. All you can feel is that, and I don't have a job and I don't know what to turn. And we get so fixated on our circumstances and, and I was living in that same place too. And so then I walked through that time and it was interesting because a couple years later, I look back and I, I just, that had been with me. And I, I mean, I probably said that hundreds of times. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. And then one day I was talking with someone and I was saying, well, you know, like Paul went through that one experience and you know, that, 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 that thing. And it was in 2 Timothy 4 and that guy, that guy. And I, it was amazing because all of a sudden it was like, I don't remember this guy's name anymore. And a couple years had passed and it was like, that had been wiped clean. And all of a sudden, I, I literally had to go to my Bible. I was like, what was that dude's name? I'm like, oh, it was Alexander, Alexander the coppersmith. That was the guy. And it was interesting that the thing that I had been so fixated on had kind of faded. And then when I started seeing it, as that was released, there was another phrase from the same passage that began to kind of raise up and I began to say it all the time. And that was, the Lord's by my side. And I found myself starting to use that as I, as I would interact with you all. If someone would say, man, I really need prayer for this situation. And I'd, I'd end the text to them saying, look, the Lord's by your side. And someone, I'd be comforting them in a counseling session or we'd be talking about a difficulty in their life. And I'd look at them and say, friend, the Lord's by your side. And I'd end emails with the Lord's by your side. And all of a sudden, that was the thing that, that I began to, to repeat because the Lord had taken away that Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm and replaced it with something better that the Lord's by my side. Do you see how that transition works? When we talk about being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's the kind of thing that the Lord does, that he takes away some of the hurt and he puts in its place something better, which is him. And so he takes away the opposition and the circumstances and he, he himself fills that need for us. 
And that was the experience in my life. And so as you think about kind of what that looks like, one of the ways I knew that, was prog- that there was progress was I became more confident that the Lord is with us during our tough times. And I wanted to make sure that everyone else knew that too and wanted to pass that on. So as we think about that, um, and it took several years, but I, I, wanted to, I, wanted, I wanted to just let people know that God had done work even in my own heart in the hurts and the, the hangups and the places that, I, that were hard for me. So let me ask you this question. I think the question for us as I wrestled with this this week is this. What if, what if God's greatest gift to you in this season is not to make your circumstances easier, but to make your transformation deeper? What if God's greatest gift is not to make your circumstances easier, but to make your transformation deeper? I think that's a valid question for us to wrestle with and to ask during this season. So I want us to take the rest of our time this morning and I want us to look at four aspects of transformation, how it is we can be transformed by the Lord in the midst of uh, difficult times. So the first aspect of transformation is that transformation starts inside. Spiritual change is an inside-out journey. It starts as kind of an internal journey where you're learning to be attentive to the Lord and responsive to the Lord on the inside. Let me ask you a question. Paul, in that passage, when he said, the Lord stood by my side, was he saying that the Lord was visibly, physically present next to him? Like in an adjacent place where the Lord just kind of had his arm around him like he was in a huddle in a football game? No, he wasn't saying that at all. When he said the Lord strengthened me, was he saying that like Jesus gave him bigger biceps and pecs? No, it was, it was an internal strengthening, right? So the Lord was present. What he said, what Paul was saying is, the Lord's got your back and he will never leave you nor forsake you. But the Lord's with you and he's not going anywhere. See, he renews our souls and gives us strength to face the day. And as you reflect on your own life, I think one of the questions that's worth asking is, have you ever experienced the internal strengthening of the Lord? Have you personally ever positioned yourself next unto the Lord and trusted that he's by your side and allowed him to strengthen you on the inside so that you can face the things that are going on on the outside. And maybe this is new for you and you're, you're new to church and uh, th- this is gonna sound foreign, it's gonna sound strange and you're gonna, you're gonna need some time to kind of process this. Or maybe you're in a season where this, this whole coronavirus thing has just jolted you. And maybe the Lord's trying to get your attention right now and he, he wants you to understand that, that you're, you have a need for a deeper communion for God's presence and a deeper desire for him for a personal relationship with the Lord. So maybe this season is gonna lead to that way. Maybe the Lord's trying to get your attention by weaning you off of people and props that can only meet some of your needs because you've got deeper needs that only the Lord can meet and he wants to surface those in your life. And so as we think about this internal this, this, this season, my hope for you is that maybe you'll see this as an invitation to, to go to a deeper place with the Lord, that your relationship with him would be deepened in the season. Friends, we've got to spend time with him every day. And part of that means we have to learn to cultivate an interior life. And that's hard for us because we live in a, in a world that goes really, really quickly. And we live in a world that's, that's constantly throwing screens in front of our face to distract us and keep us on the surface and keep us from going inside. But we have to be able to go internally and, and be able to process that in terms of a true devotional life. One, now, one caution as you think about your devotional life, and I want us to talk through some of that today, is don't make this about content consumption. One, one of the things, I, the dangers I see right now in this moment is there's so much great content out in the world that we just, I mean, we just, we make it all about preachers and podcasts and just, I mean, how much can I feed myself with when what we really need is we need to stop. This is really about communion with the Lord. This is really about getting to know him. 
So it's not just about consuming information. This is about the transformation of the deep places in our life, which means we have to invite the Lord into those spaces. And that's gonna take some different approaches. So when you think about cultivating an inner life, we're not gonna walk through a whole lot of this, but uh, silence and solitude is a part of that. I mean, how do you practice solitude? How do you practice quiet so that you can just be with the Lord and not be distracted by everything going on around you? Some of you can't sit still for three seconds, so you may need to take some long runs or go on some long walks. My best prayer times are usually on long walks or runs because I can get out of the house and go somewhere else and, and have space to kind of clear my head. Biblical meditation. Don't just get into God's word, but, let, but get God's word into you. Take time to reflect and to meditate and to allow that to kind of soak in you. So don't just take a spit bath in the word of God, but man, just jump in the ocean and, and soak there for a little while. Um, expression. Uh, sometimes you need to be able to express yourself. And so that's, and we okay here? All right, got some lights moving. Um, when you think about uh, kind of expression, you're talking about journaling, um, singing. Could be, you could even do poetry or art, whatever it is that you wanna do, but praying and verbalizing the things that you needed to do to the Lord. It can be conversation. Talk to someone about your spiritual life and what's going on in your heart and how the Lord relates to that. Find a mentor, find a small group, find those around you that can encourage you in terms of your own life. Um, fasting, fasting, taking a break from food, a break from screens, a break from, uh, from, from other things that maybe distract you so that for a season you can be completely focused on the Lord. These are all practices and things that can help cultivate our inner life. But I wanna encourage you, don't get too boxed in. Every one of us is unique and different. Every one of us has a unique relationship with the Lord, but go practice some things, work them out, try them and see what's working for you in terms of your relationship with the Lord and then work that. Work the things that are working for you and continue to grow in those areas. So the first is transformation starts inside. The second aspect is transformation is slow. I know that's discouraging for some of you. You were hoping for like a 30-day plan to a, to a, a fitter, slimmer you. Um, I, I don't have one of those plans. The, the really uh, easy plans tend to lead to easy solutions, which tend to be shallow solutions and don't really do the deep transformation work that we need. And so when you think about transformation, it's slow. In my story, I just was thinking about this and it was probably about a seven year journey that God used to heal me, which is you know, 2,500 plus days of me in the word, praying with the Lord, talking with friends, seeking him, doing things that that's what that, that transformation process looked like. It's oftentimes really slow work. It's why biblically the, the images that are oftentimes used for kind of that transformation of our souls are more agricultural or, or, or more from farming. And I don't, know, I don't know a whole lot about farming, but I know it's not fast, right? And so I know farming is an awful lot of work that involves uh, trust and waiting on growth. And so I think that's why the Bible uses those images. But transformation oftentimes feels repetitive. That oftentimes it's, you know, throw some seeds out and then you're constantly picking the weeds of negative thoughts, picking the weeds of bad ideas, picking the weeds of false beliefs and, and, and picking the weeds of old bitterness so that you've got soil that's ready for the good stuff to grow. So transformation is gonna be a slow process in our lives. Fourth, or the third aspect, transformation is preparation. Um, you know, it's, God stands by us and strengthens us, not just for our own peace and care, 
but so that we would care for others. And so Paul, in this passage, never lost sight of the mission. In fact, he says that God stood by his side and strengthened him so that the message might be fully proclaimed, so that he might continue his ministry. Now, for us, most of us are not preachers. We're not, we're not evangelists, and so that may not resonate. But you know the Bible elsewhere talks about uh, just the, the reality that, that all of us in receiving comfort from God have comfort to share. And 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, God, the God of all comforts, comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Don't, don't try to say that 10 times fast. Like it's a confusing thing, but here's the basic idea. God is a God of comfort. He comforts you so that you can be a comfort to others. Every one of us has something that, some place in hurt that God wants to meet us in a place of need. He wants to bring comfort to us so that we can turn around and offer comfort and encouragement to other people. And you're here for a reason and we need you to invest in the, long, in, in, in the good of others. That's what we're called to do. We're called to love the Lord. We're also called to love our neighbors. And so when you think about this, I think it's important just to think, what, what if you purposely shifted your thinking this week from thinking about yourself and all your needs to thinking about how it is that God can meet you there so that you can serve someone else's needs? I think that's the call of what we're looking for. And really you see this in, in, um, in 2 Timothy 4. You also see it here in 2 Corinthians 1. The fourth aspect of transformation is transformations from the Lord. That this isn't just self-effort, that ultimately our transformation comes, comes from God and God's work in us. And so as we think about that, um, one of the most overlooked and neglected resources in, in every Christian's life is that God wants to help you. But so often we look for human help rather than looking to the Lord for help. And so we run to other places. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons why our world's so angry and so exhausted right now is that we're constantly looking for only human help rather than looking, for, looking to the Lord for help. And yet, um, there's, there's a better way. Hebrews 4 says this. So since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there's three verses. Verse 15 is kind of the heart of the passage. Verse 14 and 16 both give us an exhortation. 14, and they say, uh, let us hold fast to the confession. That's a doctrinal statement. Let us hold fast to the truth. And then in 16, it says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That's about our relationship, our communion with God. So we've got this hold fast to the confession and draw near in communion to God. And those kind of twin truths go together. That we need, we need truth and we need God's grace and we have to hold those together. And so you have 14 and 16, but in 15 in the middle, the, there's really a crux. And so uh, 15 actually builds on 14. 14's there and it says, but 4, 15 begins to build on what 14 says, uh, but 15's the heart of it. And then 16 builds again on 15. So they kind of both point down or back to verse 15. And in verse 15, you notice what it says. I think above all other verses, this speaks about the heart of Jesus towards us in the midst of our sin and our suffering. It says that we do not have a high priest who's unsympathetic. It means Jesus sympathizes with us in the middle of our need. That word sympathizes, this isn't kind of like some wishy-washy pity party thing. What sympathizes with means, it's a compound word that means he suffers with. 
So God enters our suffering. He suffers alongside us. He suffers with us. So when we suffer, Jesus suffers. When we're in pain, Jesus is in pain. When we're frustrated, Jesus is frustrated. Jesus is in the middle of that with us. Jesus climbs into the foxhole with us in the middle of our battles. He, he co-suffers alongside us is what he wants you to understand. And here's why that's so beautiful. One guy said of this, he said, this verse is like taking, the, you're taking your, our two hands and laying them upon Christ's chest so that we can feel how his love beats for us and, and how much his heart moves toward us even though he's now in glory. So even though he's set on a throne in heaven, his heart beats towards us and he moves towards us so he can be with us even when we struggle. Now, why is it Jesus is able to do that without suffering any loss to himself? Well, it's because he's already conquered. He's already ascended the throne. He's already, he's already, he's already beat or overcome this world and taken a victory lap, right? And so Jesus is not in a place that when he's with us, that he somehow loses something or something sapped from him, but he's, he enters our weakness and it doesn't diminish at all his strength. So let me think about, or let me just read a section, I think, that captures this well. I think this is helpful for us as you think about how Jesus is with you and his heart for you. Dane Orland writes this, says, consider your own life. When the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it seems that our one shot at significance has slipped through our fingers, when we can't sort out our emotions, when the longtime friend lets us down, when a family member betrays us, when we feel deeply misunderstood, when we're laughed at by the impressive, in short, when the fallenness of our world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such testing feels like and sits close to us, embraces us, with us in solidarity. See, in all the stuff that we go through in life, Jesus has solidarity. He sits with us in it. He's gone through it all. In fact, it says he, he faced every temptation yet without sin. I mean, sometimes we think of that and we think, well, I guess that means Jesus was divine. So he kind of punked out. He didn't really have to face temptation. No, what it means is he's actually the one that faced all temptation because the rest of us gave in too early. Like when the winds of temptation blew our way, I mean, we folded. I mean, we, we folded like what she just went down and, and gave in really quickly because we couldn't stand up under the temptations of this world. Jesus took them all. He never fell once, which means he's, he's felt more temptation than anyone. And he's thrived and yet conquered them. And so he can step into our hurt. He can step into our situations. And he knows what it's like to be with us. That's why you get to verse 16. It says, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. See, Jesus is on the throne. And it tells us that we can go to him. He is a king who loves to pour out mercy and grace. Mercy is the, re is the removal of, of judgment that we deserve. Grace is the receiving of blessings we don't deserve. And he says we can come to the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. We can find both in him. Friends, if Jesus truly came to earth and died on a cross so that he could pour out mercy to us, do you think he's gonna hold it back when the time comes when he gets to give it? If he endured everything in this life that he was able, that he had to endure, if he endured all the suffering of the cross, if he endured all the pain, if he endured the moment where it felt like his father had left him and he, he's, a, you know, he's crying out on the cross to his Lord in pain and in agony, he endured all that in order to re, re, reunite us in relationship. Do you think he's gonna withhold when he finally gets through all that and says, I can now give you grace. I can now give you mercy. No, he's not gonna hold back. Just like when your child comes to you begging for food because they're hungry, you don't go, I don't know. 
No, you just sit down and bless them with goodness. And Jesus wants to do the same for us. So how do we, how do we apply this? Let's go back to you. Do you remember the question I asked you at the first? What is, that, what is that place? What is that hurt? What's that place of pain or hardship or difficulty in your own life? Um, here's what I want you to think about today. What would it look like for you to bring that hard time to the Lord today? What would it look like for you just to come and to lay that before him and, um, and, and, and ask for his grace, for healing and for help in your time of need? Whatever it is that you've wrestled with, whatever it is that place that you need God to meet you at and just to trust and to come with confidence. Do you know, you know how you come with confidence to the throne of grace? Well, we don't come with confidence when we're, when we're fixated on ourselves and we don't come with confidence when we're fixated on our circumstances. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the beginner and the one who brings it to conclusion, the one who initiated this thing and the one who promises to deliver us in the end, the one who rescues us from the mouth of the lion now and the one who rescues us uh, in the future and delivers us safely to the kingdom of heaven. We come to him and our eyes are on him. That's why we can come with confidence. So friends, our growth isn't by simply self-effort. It's by coming to the Lord and allowing him to transform us. Let me, let me end with this. My hope today is to convince you that the, that the Lord's by your side, that he wants to strengthen you so that you'll come to him in confidence. Let me, let me end with this and just read, read this, uh, some truth over you. Times may be tough, but the Lord's by your side. You may be sinful, but the Lord is by your side. You may be fearful right now, but the Lord's by your side. You may be depressed, but the Lord is by your side. You may be in need, but the Lord's by your side. You may be lonely, the Lord's by your side. You may be failing, in some way, but the Lord's by your side. You may be sick, even to death. The Lord's by your side. So come to him and trust him to carry you through. Let me pray for us. Lord, we come confidently to you as a good king. We believe that you rule from a throne of grace, that you are uh, up there just with a heart yearning to dispense mercy and grace, to take care of the, the sin and the judgment that, uh, that we deserve but also to pour out grace and give us blessing we don't deserve because you love us and your heart beats to be with us. So in all our troubles, Lord, would you, would you increase our confidence in your love? Would you increase our confidence in your strength? Would you help us to hold fast to the confession that you are strong? And would you help us also to be confident to draw near to you um, in communion and trust? Father, we do it all for the sake of Christ, our Savior and our King. Amen. Amen.